it is. Aries and Andy, you and the jerk. You know it's time to get this work. The real raw, gutter, uncut cocaine. No political corrections. Always sleep. Fuck being awoke. We discuss politics and jokes. We lick. There's levels to this shit. Before you were sucking on your mama's tits. Aries Spears don't give a fuck. We talk about race a lot. Racism. Sexism. Much love to my loyal bitch bag holders. Rollers, clip loaders. We got them in the folders. The whole world on our shoulders. Spears and Steinberg. Yeah! Run up and get touched up. Suicide. <laughs> and all of y'all know my style. Hey, big shout out to my boy. I don't know if he listens to the podcast. We've been telling him to check it out. Every year we come to Cleveland. My man always looks out for me. Big fucking uh, extra virgin olive oil canister built motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my Italian boy uh, Corbo's Bakery here in Cleveland 12210 Mayfield Road Cleveland, Ohio in little fucking Italy he always brings uh, brings us a plate of here cookies right, we'll kind of do go like this because we ate so many of them well we you even, ate so many of them because you know, I, ga- I, I gave some away this to is the, a uh, diabetic I, tray nigga i, I can't g- really fuck with this but he brings us uh, every year brings us some every kind year of he, br- he brings us some shit from the bakery corbo's uh cookies fuck a cannolis cookies italian cookies a treats uh and his name is tony fucking erotic i fucking audio i talked to fucking audio the other day i said you should serve some of these cookies in for Silvio. uh so and Andy thoroughly enjoys these Italian treats. I don't really eat them uh, for obvious reasons, but you know what? I don't go crazy. So, but today, I went down to the lobby in the hotel, got me a nice cold bottle of milk, and I had a couple fucking cookies. It's fucking excellent! All of my fucking guys, you fucking love it. Paulie Christopher, Uncle Jordan, Johnny fucking Shaq, Cobbles fucking Bakery, a little Italy. My fucking Tony, not that Tony, well, not this Tony, but the other Tony. You don't know fucking Tony. You don't know fucking Tony. I don't know why. I think the sugar got me. <laughs> like, I'm like, cocaine cookies, nigga. The sugar got me. Hold on, I fuck about it. Go out of a thousand fucking miles an hour. You know, all that uh, Anthony has asked for us to do is on these videos yes. when we make them. is to not use foul language uh, for the first few minutes. <laughs> the fuck out of fucking Italian. I use some foul language. It's not like being able to take a fucking shit. It is what it is. It's like my ass and my fucking my lips are the same fucking thing. I'm in the city of fucking Cleveland. That's all I do is I walk and shit at the same fucking time. Just not in the first like 10 minutes. That's all you ask. And the fuck about fucking all the fucking 10 minutes. Fuck that cocksucker in his fucking 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, here in Cleveland. Yeah, here in Cleveland, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just a bit outside. Cleveland. The good news is we leave tomorrow. Yeah, we have one show tonight. Uh, shows have been interesting. Uh, They've been a mixed bag I'm of tricks. Cha- I'm going to channel my grandmother. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. 
most of Cleveland has not been a fan of me this time. I, I had such a great shows last time we were out here and not so much this time. Uh, well, can we, can I please mention what you did? Uh, I shit. Uh, go ahead. Wait, 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 you say, you say. Here's what Andy does. <clears throat> I like to dig a hole. I, well, you he, dug I, one, I did, I did. You dug a good fellas Joe Pesci sized <laughs> hole, nigga. <laughs> um, this motherfucker comes out and jokingly. Wearing my son's hat, by the way. Wearing your Phoenix son's hat made a joke about the fact that Cleveland <laughs> is not in the playoffs. And I'm They were eliminated from the playoffs. Eliminated. And you heard within the first two minutes, <laughs> one, two, say, say something funny. You ain't funny. Uh, and I, and I, and I, 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 and this is already a rough fucking place. Uh-huh. But I, I said to Andy in a text, I said, hey man, word to the wise, don't shit on the city uh, and their sports team in the first two minutes. Uh, because unless you got some powerful funny to clean that up or to back that up, you're done. And he was done. Uh, yeah, and, I said, and I said to him, look, man, Chicago, New York, Philly, those cities are just as into their sports teams as Cleveland. But those cities also have other things going on. <laughs> they're, they're vast. They're diverse. There's excitement, there's culture, there's fun, there's beauty. You don't, even if you're not a diehard sports guy at all, you go to Philly, there's a lot to do. You're in New York, there's plenty to do. You're in fucking Chicago, there's plenty to do. (laughs) This is all Cleveland has. Dude. This and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. This is all they got is the Indians, Browns, and the fucking Cavs. What's funny is to me, like Philly is the diehard uh, sports city. Out of all of them, and they're right. and they're the they're the I mean, and they're known for being just a fucking rough, you know, town for their for their Philly. Uh, for Philly for their sports team. New York and Chicago is too, yeah, but not like Philly. Philly is like, I mean, those, that's who they 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 boo Santa Claus, they throw batteries at players. I mean, it's right. Philly is a rough, and you can go into Philly into their market into their into their comedy clubs, and you can fuck around with their sports teams because the people there want to fuck with you. They want to. Right. They want to go back and forth. They no, want to make. They will kill you they, in Cleveland. They want, yeah. But in Cleveland, it's all they got, bro. <laughs> it's all they got. <laughs> There's nothing else in this motherfucker. Uh, it's pretty funny, actually. The home. Listen, down. To, I, and again, we've been to all these cities. I don't know if there's what did you even call there is a downtown in New York. The Manhattan feels like one huge downtown. But my point is there's action. In Philly, whatever downtown is considered, there's action. Chicago, there's action. Cleveland feels like I am legend. <laughs> These streets in downtown Cleveland feel you, you could hear a, a, a leaf scrape up against the concrete when the wind blows. This, 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 this is all they got. They're, they're mall full of homeless people, dirty. I'm, I'm sorry, man. This is it. You can't. You, you take sports away from Cleveland, it's truly gone. Uh, it's funny because I didn't even get to the football part because I wanted to say about how they got their good first round pick because they didn't get their first round pick into the third round. Right. <laughs> they, didn't have, they didn't have two for. They didn't have two first round pick. They, they didn't for the first or the second. So their first round pick was after sixty, the sixty fourth pick in the draft. Right. I didn't even get that far because they were just <laughs> dude, dude, dude. You just cock out all over their breakfast plate, nigga. I, you know what? Because in Philly, they can fuck with you because they know that yeah, they have a chance to yeah, win at some point. Yeah, here they just feel like and it's listen, over. 
Their, their Cavs team is pretty a solid young team. It is. It's a good team. It's a good. That's solid why young I team. thought they would be cool with like fucking around and going back and forth. But they lost though. Yeah. So what? Can't say so what in Cleveland. Because <laughs> there's, so no, there's no what. There, there, yeah. There's no what. There is no what. <laughs> there is. No, this is it. Uh, yeah. Big shout out to my boy. Thank you, Carbo's Bakery. Uh, we love the cookies. Love the pastries. Uh, yeah. Thank you, man. Let's dive in. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> Dude, uh, we went and saw uh, the George Foreman movie. Here in Cleveland. Here in Cleveland. Uh, only people at the theater. <laughs> yes. Like with Till. We were the only niggas in the theater. No, at least with Till, there was a white couple. There was remember? a white couple. We, Me and Andy literally were the only ones in the motherfucking theater. We had the whole shit. We were speaking at this volume to each other. Sitting across the aisle. We weren't even next to each other. We are down the aisle right. from each other. And we're just yelling things back and forth yeah. at each other. Yo, this movie is a must-see, guys. I don't know why this movie is not bigger than it is. It's it's good. It really it's is good. It's fucking a solid, well-rounded movie. And, and you know what was interesting was, obviously, they cover from, and, and him being a little boy showing his poverty from the very beginning, that, that was only a second. But then they cover, most of the movie feels like it's about, like, well, how do I say this? So much of it in the beginning is about young George, muscular, Afro, his his journey as young George. And I'm like, God damn, they've been showing this version of George for a minute. I, and I still know they got to get to the ball, fat George. Uh, but they do it beautifully because I felt like the, long, the young George was taking so much time and you knew they were going to cover the other half of George. But they did it. They, they, they told a lot of story in what was what? Two hours. Yeah. It's like I thought there could have even been. You know how when you watch a story and they give you so much the details and you're like, uh, I didn't need all that. Like, I would have liked more story even. I mean, they did it so well. Like, it, it, I'm not complaining about what I got. Right. It's just it was done well. And we all know kind of the story. A little bit. But there but, was so much more. There's so much more layers to it. To him. And to, to him. his life. Yeah. And, and what went on. Um, listen, I already liked the movie from Jump because it started out with a voiceover. And as my rule goes, <laughs> any movie with a voiceover, nine times out of ten is a good movie. Any movie that takes place in the snow is usually garbage. Uh, and this started off with a voiceover. Um, and I got to say, man, can you really look up who played George? This dude nailed it. I mean, he fucking nailed it. And I don't know what it was, but it's something about when he became the older George, he nailed it even more. Yeah, that when he's on, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk Carson. About yeah. Oh man, that, he sound. He, man, he nailed it. He really did. Uh, like when we were sitting there and we actually looked up at it. Here, I'll give you all. Is the that names. him? Yeah. Uh, Chris Davis. That's him, right? Yeah. Chris Davis. Chris nails it. This brother nails. I didn't know if you wanted to go on any more of these. No, no, I just. But he he fucking nailed that. We'll get we'll get to the other one. Uh, he had he had George's cadence to perfection. Um, on on Johnny Carson. Well, on the Carson thing specifically, like yes, you really you really you really heard it. That's when I turned to you and was like, "Yo, he really sounds yeah, like yeah. that motherfucker." Um, so in the beginning, of course, they showed George as a young boy, and how poverty stricken he was. And they show the mom and the siblings splitting a sandwich for dinner, a single sandwich, like a burger. And she breaks it into pieces 
and each child gets a piece of one burger. And then she proceeds to thank God for the food. I promise y'all, I'm not going to get on my God rant shit. But I have to say this because what I loved is later in the movie, George says something about that. But she goes, God, I want to bless you for this food. So tell me if y'all think this makes sense. So God, so powerful, so merciful, can't bless them with a whole meal, but he going to bless them with a sandwich to split up. Black people, when are we going to wake up? Make that make sense. So, so God's blessing is and the most powerful entity can, can bless you. Children that need to be fed. And instead of giving them a whole meal, sides, vegetables, a starch, a protein, something to drink, he just gives them a sandwich to split. Make that make sense. Because it's, it's, it's I hate to say this because I won't make it sound dumb, but it's like that, uh, that quote from, uh, um, now you're not even remember Marilyn Monroe. If you don't, if you, if you can't accept me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Well, Kennedy got her at both. (laughs) I remember when I uh, fucked Marilyn. I had her at her best uh, when she came over to the Oval Office and blew me. And I remember as she passed and I went to go identify the body, I got one more fuck in there. Uh, I put my stiff in her stiff. (laughs) That's disgusting. But the the acceptance of, uh, of of the spiritual being that you deem... You, who, who, however you want to look at it, they don't owe you, you, but they blessed you for being here, and they, and he's providing some sustenance, and some is is being looked after. But you, you can't always have everything. You have to be tested. So him blessing the family with a single burger to split up. There was some a test. Some people didn't have any burgers. Nothing to split up. Well, oh, so that's the that's the measuring. That's the barometer. Well, how do you how do you make the difference? How, how do you judge the difference? How how can you judge the difference? I, I'm not saying that it isn't nice if you have the whole like you just said. You named a whole plate. You named a Thanksgiving dinner. But to to why would God tease you like that? It's not a tease. It's a test. It's a test. It's 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 not even a test. It's it's, it's you should be thankful no matter what it is that you have. Black people wake up. Uh, there's something that I thought was very interesting that they put in there that I don't know if, if everyone caught it. What? Um, so you're watching the school, and uh, this is where he's in school. He's in school, and and she he the teacher asks, "It's a white teacher, right? 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 Pri- right. Primarily mixed class. Yes. Uh, two kids put their hand up because she asked, "Who wants to read?" Yes. And both George and another kid put black his hands kid. in, and another black kid. So it's two black kids. And she looks at George, who has holes in his shoes, and his pants are like right. been uh, altered. They're obviously too small, but they made him longer, and right. his, his feet are coming out of his shoes. And the other kid is well dressed, nice, nice, nice pair of black shoes. And he puts up his hand, and the teacher looks at both of them. And so the the, the racial aspect, she's looking at the two. The racial aspect is gone. She picked person who was dressed better looked better easier on the eyeballs to be able to put up with right so uh, i thought it was interesting that they showed it in a way that 
the, the economics also makes a difference. Race was still involved in that. Race was still involved, but the economics part was was the the, the key. It was more about the race, though. Do you know why? Why? Because she looked at the po nigga and said, he robbed me. <laughs> <laughs> the one, the nigga with the nice shoes is less likely to rob me. No, uh, you know, but that that that's that is true. No, no, that is true because no, 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 I'm going to say it is true because when you walk down the street and you see someone who's dressed well, right. you, you assume that you're safe and you see someone that's dressed poorly and you think, oh, that could be a little bit more dangerous. So it's not, it's, you're not wrong, but that's part of the economic situation. But most of the people that rob you the worst are the ones in the suits that call politicians. Yeah, I'm, uh, that's what I was trying to get to. That's oh, so was, we're both right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, you're right in what you're saying, but right. you. I said, okay, I got you. But uh, I thought that was interesting. That was an interesting uh, part that they that they that they put in. Uh, there's more throughout this movie of this uh, back and forth because there is a there is a black white component, even though it wasn't uh, obvious in this movie. But um, because it's the undertone, like when I'll wait till we get to that part. Don't mean to cut you off, man, but we have to take a break. It's nothing personal. It's just business. Um. <clears throat> I'm just asking you this because as guys, this question needs to be asked. Prime Foreman versus Prime Tyson. Who wins? Uh, I, I think I have to say it's Tyson because Attaboy. he's, he's going to be able to slip those punches. Yes. And as Ali said, and it is true, he punches like like a car. A mummy. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he moves comes, like he, a mummy. He just comes <laughs> at <laughs> Them large looping. Punches. Yeah. A young Tyson bobbing, weaving, slipping, dipping. Punching him from almost behind in the face. Woo! But he's going to work real hard. Tyson? Tyson's still going to have to work hard. Here's what makes that so interesting to me is because George's power, which is to say, if he catches Mike and Mike could take a punch, I always said that whenever you looked at Mike Tyson's losses, he never was a one hitter quitter. He never got hit with one hit like Roy Jones when Roy got old and uh, time caught up to Father Time caught up to Roy and when Roy got old you look at all of Roy's knockouts he got hit once and that was it Roy never had a chin he was just too quick in his prime to be hit Mike Tyson was always knocked out with an accumulation of punches you didn't just hit Mike once you had to beat him up but this is George Foreman so it would have been interesting to see how many of those shots could Mike have taken uh before he was put out. But the thing, again, like you said, and I agree, Mike's quickness, head movement, footwork. Mike, I see Mike slipping, dipping those punches, and Mike hit hard too. So could Foreman have taken Mike's shot? That would have been a hell of a fight in their prime. It, it, would, it would be interesting, but I, I think Tyson, because of speed, and because Tyson, there's a very small space to hit. Right. You know, Tyson was small. Yeah. I, mean, it, 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 I mean, in this area. So yeah. where, where are you going to, where are you going to break his bones at? Right. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I, I, I'd have to go Tyson. Um, now, the guy that, of course, Forrest Whitaker plays uh, George Foreman's trainer. Let me ask you something. You think people would be so quick to help you and air quotes, give a shit about you if they didn't see what was in it for them? Because this dude, you know, goes, dude, I ain't never seen a punch with that kind of power before. And it also makes me think of Customato and, you know, how Cus and Tyson had this father-like son relationship. You know, Tyson always saw him as like his surrogate father. Uh, certainly George saw uh, Forrest like a, 
a, a male role model, influence, father figure. And I mean, that's sweet. But at the end of the day, there's a, a bunch of black boys in, in, in the detention center or and, and for, for Foreman, it was Job Corps. It was his way to get off the streets, but more importantly, because they offered three meals a day and he was starving and poor. But there's a bunch of young black men at the Job Corps. But obviously, George is the one cha-ching with the potential. So does a custom motto and, 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 and uh, uh, a George, I, I don't know, uh, Dr. Something, the, the character in the movie yeah. before was played, do they help you if they really, if, if, they, if there's nothing in it for them? Well, do they care? Let me for ask real? you this about the doctor there. Did he have a whole gym of guys that he was teaching how to box? Yeah. So what was in it for those other guys? What what did he get out of that? Now I'm not saying when you realize someone has even more potential that you can you can it's I used to have this teacher and uh we, we had three different re- reading groups and uh, I'm dyslexic. I never got asked to read. Because I couldn't read well. Shoes, nigga. It's when you see someone that has potential, it's easier to deal with them. So, like, they, she would call on the person who read the best. Is it easier to deal with them, or is it easier? You you get get excited. Well, you get excited for their potential. There is something in it for you, but you listen. uh, Okay, let's put it this way: Uh, you love boxing, so let's say it this way: you have three kids come to you, and. one just needs to be able to defend himself on the streets a little bit. The other one has a little bit of a power and he has some grace and you know that he could fight, but he's never going to be that great. And then you get one that's amazing. That you know could be the next champion of the world. Yeah. Are you going to put, so it's even when I mean easier, it's easier to devote more time. You, you see the potential, you nurturing something that you know is going to grow and expand. Now, is it also because something is in there for you? That is up to each. I think that's on the individual person, but as a human, yeah, when you see someone has that skill, why would you? Of course, you're going to help that. And as things open up for them, things open up for you, and it becomes even easier and easier because you're getting more out of it as well. But I think that I think the person's ability is what attracts that that uh, relationship to to grow. Uh, like with Cus, there was p- other people at his ho- house. It wasn't just Mike, but Mike was the one who took him, was able to take him back up. And Mike and, and Cuss knew that because Cuss also knew boxing. I wouldn't say that uh, if if Mike is just is good, I think he still gets a place to live. I think he still he, if he wasn't the champion, if he didn't become a champion, you don't think he still has Tyson in there and he still is close to Tyson. Maybe that relationship grows even further because of his ability and the love that they both have for something mutual. But you don't think that. Mike gets to live at the house and Mike is even if he didn't get to the championship status. I hear you. I, I, I hear you. I, I, like, I don't want to disagree with you because I, I feel like while the potential is there and the, the dollar signs are in the, are in sight, but you still don't know if it's going to happen because right, there's a lot right, of things right. that you have to go through and hurdles, you know, especially, okay. But, and, but, but it's it's like, if it, you don't know if it's going to happen, but when you know what the potential is, the yeah. end game, take the gamble. Well, it's, it's worth the gamble. Okay. But you also now in both of these, the, the doctor and uh, cuss, they both already have experience. He, uh, the doctor was, uh, was already a yeah. fighter. Yeah. They both have experience. So they know what the, what the hurdles are. That doesn't mean that they think that they know they have the potential to get over the hurdles, but no one's guaranteed getting over hurdles. Doc couldn't fight anymore. We don't we didn't ever really get his full story of why he had to stop fighting 
but he had to stop fighting for a reason. Maybe an injury, maybe uh, life. Who knows which one it really is. But his, his got cleared. Cuss, because of what his experience was, he's seen other people who had all the potential in the world who couldn't make it. So, well, he, you know, Cuss was uh, Floyd Patterson's trainer. Okay, but he, Floyd was a champion. Yeah, but he saw other people that yeah, had to make yeah, yeah, You yeah. know the hurdles. So you're not guaranteed that. So there has to be some. And, for, and in Cuss's situation, too, he didn't have to come back. There was passion, love. For, you, you do it for a bunch of different reasons. I think it's multiple reasons. I, I okay. don't think that the money, though, is the 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 sole reason that motivates anybody. Because you're when you meet someone that you think has raw potential, you're far away from dollars. And you know what? And if you are a fan of the sport, that's the excitement for you, the too. The bond. The bond, right. So that right, you can grow right. that relationship. I just don't... I, it's so far away from someone like George Foreman who had no experience right. no box couldn't box right so you see that he has a potential like he has a punch right but you know how far you know you were in the business you know how far the hurdles are away from where right. you can get so there has to be some kind of passion and it, listen let's let's be honest too he, he the he was a black man this is a black young kid he saw you know you see some of yourself in somebody sometimes and that right. also brings that out and he was very passionate the doctor seemed very passionate to be running this camp for kids Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I I just don't think the money is the first the the first motivator. Right. Um, the white dude who George was friends with, uh, that later became his business manager, was he Jewish? I'm sure he said they made him like a, they made him very Jewish, I, very Jewy. Because I said, uh, I would think so. You know, he's talking about how he's how he's uh, uh, crunched the numbers, yeah. in the cafeteria so they could get more brownies. Uh, then he took action on the fight when, when Foreman was fighting early on, he was taking bets. And then later on, he robbed him of his money. So I went, yeah, he's Jewish. He didn't, he didn't rob him of his money. He lost his money. Oh, then he might not be Jewish. No, he was, I think he was Jewish. Uh, he played it, he played it, but he's a street kid. He was a street kid. He okay. came up. That's why he's taking the gambling. He's, right. he's all about that. That's why he's at the job core. Right. He's a street kid. But this is, uh, this is where like. You know, I, I can't say this because it depends on who you are, but I'm just going to say if you're coming up at, at the job core, your future management and your money managers are probably not the person at the job core with you. <laughs> you, you, you know, if you want to give him right. some some right. uh, a position, and even if you want, but you have to have someone monitoring, 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 Moder that, monitor wait, 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 wait. monitoring I can't say it now. M Damn, I had it, and then you fucked me up. Monitoring. Yes, thank you. Yeah, there yes. was a T that was missing in there. Monitor. Yeah, kid. Monitoring. Whatever. But you have to have that because, um, listen, when you come from the streets, and you, that doesn't mean you can't be successful. What it means is- A la Don King. Well, go ahead. It, it, well, but what it does mean is that sometimes you see uh, op quicker opportunities, and that's what gets people in trouble. It's always the quicker opportunities because you're trying. And that was what he was trying. We have you in safe, solid investments. And then he went for more risky. Grow that money Stocks. faster. Yeah. And that's that that takes people out. You get there's a reason, uh, like Warren Buffett says, no one wants to get rich slowly. Mm. So you have to have people that have that <clears throat> mentality to to uh, oversee your money. You know, when they uh, showed that moment where, you know, uh, Foreman's, I wish I would knew the character's name, but Forrest Whitaker uh, is Foreman's trainer. Okay, yeah, I'll get, I'll basically get. told him, we have a five-year plan. In five years, Brodus. you'll be- Brodus? Doc Brodus. Uh, Doc, Doc Brodus. 
In five years, you'll be ready for the Olympics. Cut to a year later, he's fighting in the Olympics against this Russian dude. And I remember when I saw the uh, Sports Century uh, Sports Century doc on George Foreman, I was wondering if they were going to uh, do it. And they did it. Uh, you know, Foreman caught a lot of flack yeah. uh, for waving the American flag. And then later in the movie, they show how once he gets back with the gold medal around his neck, Brothers in the Streets is kind of like giving him the cold shoulder because and I remember when Foreman did the interview, he said, hey, man, I just was trying to represent my country. And I, I, I at 19, I accomplished something major like winning a gold medal. And I was just proud, you know, so I was waving my American flag and Brothers in the Streets was like, hey, man, we catching hell at home. And here you are promoting America, a country that doesn't love you. So at first I thought they weren't going to go there. But they went there. And, and they needed to. And what that's the part that I was gonna where I was gonna go. This is where the racial aspect comes in. But what was interesting again about this movie, and this is why I find it to be interesting on this aspect, it it you understand that there's a black and white issue going on. Black America, white America. And that's like waving the flag, the country doesn't like us. There's two right. but the rate the aspect of in the movie was within the community, the black community. They didn't have to take it out into the white community to show that there's distress within the black community as well. You did this. You sold us out. Um, black kid with money, black kid without money. Uh, one of the main th- one of the first fights that you see in the movie is because he says they should change. The black kid says, the, says to George Foreman, they should change your name from Foreman to poor, poor man. man. So right. the, com- the struggle within the community is what I thought was highlighted in this movie, because as we go through the movie, even. Uh, Ali versus Foreman. It's in the struggle of the community, within the community. Oh, I'm, which- glad, I'm glad you brought that up because now this made me think about the other thing. You know, I wish, like, it would have been nice if, as Dave Chappelle said, every nigga should have a Mac Mittens. It would have been nice if Foreman had a dude who could pull his coattail and say, because I don't think Foreman purposely was trying to alienate black people because he came off as a proud black man. But I just think he didn't know any better because when you look at look at that moment, he's walking through the streets. He's got the gold medal around his neck, and the brothers are checking him for that. Whereas when Muhammad Ali got back, remember he threw his gold his his gold medal into the river off the bridge because he was like, "Yo, man, I'm coming back here in Louisville, Kentucky. I can't even sit down and get a cup of coffee because I'm black. Fuck that medal." Whereas Foreman didn't see it that way. Cut to. The reason why the chant was Ali, boom, bye, Ali, kill him, was because George alienated the African community immediately by coming there with a German shepherd. They didn't show that. In and this. they didn't show that, that in the movie. That, that I that wish they been, did. Yeah, because that shows that that was the attack dog for the, for the oppressors of that community, of right. the African community. Right. And again, I don't think, again, I, I, I have a hard time believing George is that stupid. I don't, I, I don't think he is. Okay. And, I, and, and again, if he had the right People around him, somebody would have said, George, the, the, the German Shepherd, dog. Yeah. That don't fly here. Yeah, that isn't going to work here. George, the gold medal around your neck and what black folks is going through. Whereas Ali was conscious of that. Yep. Ali, Ali was so black conscious that, you know, he did what was necessary to uplift and make black people feel good. Whereas George was going the other way. Okay. But let's, let's, let's slow down for there for a second because as I was just saying, the movie focuses on the relationship within the black community. The, the white community 
could be the you could you could have them as the outside. That's the undertone. That's the outside oppressors that have put this black the black community in this position. But within that community, who was George fighting? And remember, he came up within one year, one how many year? It was a year and how many months before he was uh, in the Olympics? Uh, a year and how many months? Yeah, he was. It was a year. A year, just a year. Said a year. So. Who is George's problem throughout this movie as you're watching it? He didn't have a problem with the the white teacher was called on the the rich black kid or the kid with money. He had both. He did. But what I'm saying is look at what his. The white kid stole the sneakers. The white kid stole the sneakers at the job corps. But when he got to the job corps, the job corps uh, is what gave him the access to be able to become who he became. So he's looking at America isn't the the part that's holding him down. Social aspects are holding him down. He wasn't looking at it that way. He was looking, as he says throughout the whole movie, I'm looking for respect for myself. The medal, he thought when he won the medal, that's he won an American gold medal that he was going to come back and America was going to embrace him. He didn't have that same thing that Ali had where Ali had already been through these struggles. He had been going through this for a long time. He'd been impressed in a, in a way that was different, same, but different. Mm-hmm. You, do you know what I mean? Because he's going through the struggle. Ali came up in a way that he was destined to be this boxer, and he knew what he was doing with his community and how he was how he was alienated by the white community. Foreman, the way that the Torah story is being told, he was alienated from everyone. He didn't have one oppressor. He had all everyone oppressing him. He was looking for something somewhere else. He thought he was just trying to find his place to get respect. It had nothing to do with the way that we look at how we look at how Ali was looking at racism and how the country was, the country itself was holding him back. Foreman saw everyone holding him back. Well, thus, as they say in the movie, his rage. Yeah. He had all this rage, his anger. Yeah. No, I, I, I yeah, I, I got you. And, and, and since it was such a quick up, since he was such a quick to, from amateur to being in the limelight of the Olympics, he didn't get all the other stuff that comes with it. He didn't get to see other people taking advantage or pushing him back. It was just, it was so quick. If he would, if it would have taken the five years, I think he would have got what you said. He would have found his Mac Minutes. He would have found right. the people to kind of give him some better advice. Yeah. But he was all of a sudden from zero, zero two with the rocket ship. Yeah. Told me to cut you off, man, but we have to take a break. It's nothing personal. It's just business. Um, now let's talk about some of the things we did like. Yeah, because there's a lot of those in this movie, too. <laughs> Listen, man, again, the guy playing. It doesn't ruin the story. No, 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 no. But no. it hurts your ears. Yes. Uh, I like how it yeah, hurts your ears. Um, the guy playing Foreman was dead on, man. But then they had some other key figures in this. And it made me go. And you said something interesting. You went, the, the casting. Like, I know this is the Foreman story. But these pieces are intricate to this story. And yeah, it doesn't take away from the story. But when you when you go, why if, if they cast Foreman so perfectly, why couldn't they cast it? The Howard Cosell was terrible. The person who they, I don't even think he was doing the cadence. I he was. I don't think he was trying to do an impression of uh, this is. And how could you not when when Howard Cosell, especially at that time, sixties, seventies, was was one of the most prominent figures in sports. He was the as a commentator. He was almost just as big as the athlete. He was. He was Monday Night Football. Him he, and when he was, when he would do things with Ali, they would have things with him and Ali. He right. was as big as sports. Right. Um, 
and a lot of people hated him. But like when we were sitting there, we both like, I'm not, I can't do impressions, but I could do the cadence. I mean, we're listening. I'm, I'm Aries and I are looking at each other doing the cadence. The guy goes, uh, there's the bell for the second round. And he almost sounded just like that, where it's supposed he was good. There's the bell for the, the second, second round. round. Yeah, it's, it's, There was no Howard Cosell. There was no cadence and no delivery like that. And the actor is Matthew uh, Glade. That was terrible, man. And and he's been in lo- uh, lots of other things, and he's a good actor. But I I have a feeling they didn't want him. I can't believe that this is his attempt at being Howard Corsell. Corsell, you keep saying Corsell. I don't know why. Like Corsell, I don't know why he put the R in there. Corsell, I don't know why he why he. I I can't believe that someone who's been who has had any experience with him, with, with Howard Cosell, right. would have seen him and not been able to go, okay, well, we need to, unless they just said, hey, man, we're not, this isn't about them, just do. But still, that's an intricate, like, Howard Cosell is a major figure in sports, at, at that time especially. Yeah. So you got to get that right. It seems like it could have been an easy fix. Yeah. Because that, he... He's not hard to do. Like someone could have, a voice teacher could have came in and go, "Here's what you. Right. These are your lines. Right. This is the cadence. It's right. a, because it's a it's a it's a distinct cadence that no one else right. had ever. Like when you go Muhammad Ali, most people say that like that. Muhammad Ali. Well, it rolls off your tongue quick. When Howard Cosell was Muhammad Ali, it was that ba ba ba. Like that's that's crucial. So it should have been easy to listen. I, and listen, in sports, they all said. For Ali, him and Cosell were like, I don't know if this is the right comparison, but like a, like a, like they were a tandem. They made each other. Abbott and Costello, you know, uh, Amos and Andy. They, 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 that was the perfect marriage between a sports uh, analyst and an athlete. And I told you, one of my favorite moments is that interview where Howard Cosell is talking to Ali and he goes, you know, Muhammad, you're being rather truculent. And Ali goes, I don't know what trucking mean, but if it's good, I'm that. Like that back and forth. And I'm just going, maybe because it wasn't Ali, they didn't care as much. Because that relationship between Ali and Cosell was a marriage. Right. So, so in the Ali movie, as John Voight played Cosell, they emphasized that. But I'm thinking, okay, maybe because it's forming, it's not as big a deal. But that to me, I just don't see how you do that. Well, it doesn't get better. Oh, oh, yeah, it doesn't get better. Because, okay, before I get to who I really hated. Uh, and again, when they go to George Foreman, is the older, fatter, balder George. Bald George. Yeah. The part where, where the dude really sold me on his performance as Foreman was on the Johnny Carson show. And that casting was terrible. That's, that's, that dude was way too thick. Well, and he's bald. And Johnny Carson wasn't bald. I mean, he had a comb over. Right. Uh, and like you said, thick, and the and he didn't get his cadence. Right. And there's like, listen, seriously, literally, there's one guy that I'm thinking about. I wish I could remember his name. He's a comedian. I'm Dana working, Carvey? No, but Dana Carvey would be great, but maybe right. they didn't want to spend Dana Carvey dollars. But there's a guy that Dana I Dana Carvey dollars ain't what they once were. Well, yeah, but still, I mean, for a movie, they still have to pay you. Uh, there's there's at least a thousand guys in Hollywood right now that could do a Johnny Carson impression right. that look like right. Carson esque. Right. And why they went with and, and listen, nothing against anybody who got these parts, man. I want everybody. I want people to get paid. I'm not against them. But how did they pick 
certain people. I don't understand. Now here's the creme de la creme for me. The dude playing Ali. <laughs> I wish they could get one motherfucker to play Ali in everything. Because it's confusing. All the different Ali's. Like, just get one dude who can nail Ali and make him Ali every time you need Ali. I, I, for this, Will Smith. I would have rather had Will Smith. <laughs> for this. Because you know what bothered me most about this dude? He looked Asian. You don't think he looked a little Asian in the eyes? No. I, I, yes, he absolutely looked Asian okay, to me. I'll, I'll, if you wanted to be Asian, I'll let you have Asian. But he just didn't look right. Let's just put it that way. That's what was most distracting to me. His eyes. He looked a little Asian. I'm, I'm trying to pull him up. Dude, I'm telling you, listen. And this is, and I've said this before. Sullivan Jones. Sullivan Jones. Okay, I've said this before. The reason why it would be so hard to make a Michael Jordan movie. Here it is right there. It's, it's actually in the movie. Yeah. The reason it would be so hard to make a Michael Jordan movie is how do you capture 6'6", good-looking, strikingly handsome, athletic, and can capture all those moves? You have to capture the look. You have to capture the athleticism. Where do you find that guy? Same thing to me with Ali. You got to capture the looks. But you got to capture that that animated bravado. bravado, that cadence, that voice. And I and again, not to keep beating a dead horse, but Will Smith physically was Ali. I believed it a million percent. I always said before the Ali movie, yo, if they ever do Ali, Will Smith physically is the guy. Just pin back his ears because his ears are very specific. They got, it, Will got a little bit of Dumbo ears, but pin back his ears. And that motherfucker's got the height. He's got the complexion. You put that flat top on him, physically will is Ali. But the second half. Yeah, man. Well, okay. So that, me, he didn't capture the he didn't capture Ali. But to my point then about what I'm saying about some like the Kosal, do you think that would you like Will Smith if he would have just done a voice that was similar to like to try to capture a southern like that, more of that uh Louisville voice versus the, uh, when I see that man in that ring, it'll be over in three seconds. Ali says seconds. When you watch him talk, man, I'm, I'm telling you, man, he stretches man. Look here, man. Say my name, man. I'm going to knock him out in three seconds. When we get in that ring, he don't say ring. He says ring. So, but would you rather someone just do like a more of a, Louis, a Louisville accent and get and, and not try to do the impersonation, the, the actual? If you, can, if you can capture both. There you go. But would you with Will Smith? Because that's who you have a problem with, right? Because he didn't capture it. So do you think I he heard should, Will Smith? So you think he should have just done like a Louisville sound? And I don't know that he could. If he could, he would have. That's what I'm saying, man. Like Ali, Jordan, Richard Pryor, as we talked about the Richard Pryor movie. You have to capture not just the look, that extraordinary talent. See, I think Jordan's easier. That's than hard. Them. No, you're crazy. I think Jordan's easier because you don't have as much tape on him where Jordan's not out there talking like Ali was. You don't have him out there like Pryor I know, was. But Jordan, you got to cap 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, but if you got the body of the somewhat of the Who face. Who has that face? When a young prime Jordan was strikingly handsome. But if you got something close to that, you don't have you don't have to worry so much about the voice because he doesn't okay, speak let's just, that Okay, way. so let's just say fuck the voice. The look is going to be hard enough. Yeah. Now, when it's time to shoot you playing basketball, 
Who's going to do that? Did you see Who how, can pull did that you off? see how well now they really choreographed? This is one of the things that they yes. should get choreographed. Boxing is, I think, is much easier to choreograph than a guy who can fly through the air, physically move his body and weave through three motherfuckers and lay it up off the glass. Who can duplicate that? The only guy that could is, is no longer with us. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. I think that they are going to do it when they do a Jordan story. It's going to be a lot less basketball and a lot less more of what happened. Well, then the we're court. not doing Jordan. Then why do the movie? Jordan was basketball. Yeah, that's the beauty. That's the grace. That's the show. No, give then, us. You got to give us the show. But then you just watch. That's Jordan. like doing a prior movie with no stand up. No, because you you all, you would have scenes of their words basketball, but you don't rely on it. You want to hear you want to hear Jordan's story because Jordan. Mm. This is what I think. What's great about Jordan is he is elusive. You don't have Jordan out there. He doesn't do a bunch Which of interviews. Which is even more why we need to see the basketball. Because he is elusive. So what you going to make the movie on if he's elusive? Everything you want to know about him that we have never found out. Oh, we've heard everything. There ain't nothing we don't know. You have heard everything. No, we know. You you have like wiretaps. So the, can... <laughs> the only other shit we don't know is the shit that we ain't supposed to know. Yeah, that's the stuff that we want to know. he would never allow that. But back to Foreman. Okay. Um... And you just hit it, the, 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 especially the Ali Foreman fight. That choreography was perfect. And if you've seen that fight, and I have a million times, from the way Ali covered up on the ropes to when George finally was at his most exhausted, that punch that Ali hit him with and the way Foreman stumbled and the way Ali followed his stumble and he fell, I mean, it, that was perfect. I felt like I was watching the real fight. It was good. Uh, I thought. I thought this again, and, and maybe this is the reason why you liked the movie as much as it did. That at least kept you into the movie, like you believed everything you were seeing right there. Yeah. Uh, I, the one thing I wish they 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 would have done, and this is going back to Cosell, when they showed the 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 uh, the Frazier Foreman fight, which was another pivotal moment in Foreman's career, because Frazier had just come off of beating Ali. He was heavyweight champ. So Frazier was the dude. And a lot of people thought this was going to be a battle of battles. And the dude playing Frazier, good luck, but too thick. I thought yeah. that motherfucker was way too girthy. When they did the close-up shot of his face right. when you're coming in, when the right. first one, that looked, I was like, yes. I was about ready to say to you, this is good. And then I saw the, the body and it was too, it was too thick. But it was, it was good when the, that first, that first camera shot right. was really good. But what I loved, uh, but what also disappointed about going back to the fight was, Again, between the and, and this is what made Foreman so scary, and this is why people thought, man, Ali gonna die, because the way he that was a murder. Have you seen that real fight, Foreman Frazier? Yeah, he, that was a murder. But Foreman should have been arrested. The way he fucking annihilated Joe Frazier, and again, this is Frazier coming off of Ali, the super fight, and the way he destroyed Ken Norton. You, you just went, oh, Ali is in trouble. And there was one moment in the real fight where just before uh, Howard Cosell does the famous, down goes Frazier, down goes Frazier. That last knockout in the real fight, he hit Frazier so fucking hard. Frazier, on one knee, bounced off the canvas. That motherfucker fell to the canvas, bounced off one knee, and then was knocked out. I'm going, why didn't they show that in the movie? Because this is a testament to what George's legend became. This scary motherfucking murderer in the ring. I know that might seem like a little detail, 
But I think that's an important detail. Well, I have another detail that I think is missed because when they're doing the the actual Ali uh, Foreman fight, right. Ali's getting battered. They made it seem like, like I mean, it was his choice to take those punches. Right. But Ali wasn't. It wasn't like it felt like he was just like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I can take all these punches. These punches are good. They were hurting him. He knew that he had to have him punched out though. For right. him to knock him out. He knew he had to take that abuse. Yeah. And they made it so... This is where it was a little corny to me because they made it like Ali was... Yeah. I don't know that I agree. I, 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 I think they did a good job. I thought it was too superhero really? Ali. Yeah. Because I would have liked to seen Ali like wince and feel like that it was in pain so right. that you felt like what... So that you understood that Ali... This wasn't just like, I'm just going to sit on these ropes, wait for him to punch himself out, I'm going to knock him out. Right. I'm going to take this beating on these ropes... I'm going to wait and I'm going to, oh, my will is going to be stronger than his and I'm going to knock him out. Well, but, but here's the truth too, that, that to me did make Ali the part of Ali that was Superman was, you know, Ali was a master at the psychology game. Yeah. And when Foreman tells that story, it's a real story. Like they put in the movie. That's all you got, George. Yeah. That's all you got. They told me you was bad, George. Ali did all that. Yeah, he did. But and the funny part, Obviously, they they didn't put that in the movie because he didn't say that in the movie. But he said in the interview, he said to himself when Ali was going, "That all you got, George?" And Foreman goes, "Yep, that's about it." So, as far as that goes, but I, you know, but there you see it in the fight. You see that it just looked like he was right washing clothes on Ali, and, and <laughs> Ali was right. taking punches. I the reason I say that is, like you said, psychology, the psychology uh, of Ali. He knew that he was going to. He was. He was broken up. I mean, he he got beat up. Though. You're not. You're not taking those hits from Foreman and not feeling it in your ribs. Right. He's cracking the 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 uh, the um, uh, the cartilage in between the ribs. He's hurting. Right. He Ali's hurt, but Ali has to go I'm taking this because as soon as he get, and that's and when don't that it, it that in and of itself doesn't make him Superman. Yeah, it does. But I wish that they would have had a little bit of that because and still talking shit right. through the pain and right. be, because. But this again, it's a Foreman story, not an Ali story. So maybe that's why again, it's not it's right. it's made to look that way. But Ali took a beating from him. It almost seemed like the way that they filmed it, it was easy. Like yeah, like I took this beating, and then I and then I was when he was punched out, it was like my turn. Right. It, it, he took a beating, and, and Foreman's punches were people. Don't, if you know when you look at the heavyweight division today, there, there's no one like these guys. I mean, I'm sure there are. You you pay more attention no, to it than no, I do. No, you, they, but no, you're right. Th- these guys yeah. were not. Yeah. These were. They, they, I keep, I said jokingly, these '70s niggas was built different. Well, these guys also went to the. Ho- people don't talk about this. People were going to the hospital after these fights, pissing blood, and they were in there for sometimes for days. Not right, not right. like, oh yeah, you're okay. I mean, these you're taking a beating. You get hit in the ribs like that for how many rounds did, did it go? Where you're just getting be- when it was fifteen. Man, you are you are like you said. You're going to be pissing blood. You're going to be right. hurt. You're going to be. You're going to have cracked ribs. This is not a joke. And that's the only part that I would have liked in there that it, to make him to make Ali to to show the strength of phrase uh, of Foreman on also how the the mental of Ali. Right. Um. And, you know, after, uh, of course, uh, Foreman loses to Ali, he does the gimmicky thing where he fights five dudes at once. I couldn't get past the fact that the first nigga he fought looked like Little Richard. <laughs> Dude, did he really do that, though? I don't remember him fighting. Did he do that fight? I think he did. I think he did. I don't think they would have put that in the movie if it was false. 
But I do, I, I, I do kind of recall something like that. I didn't remember that. That's why, and I'm like you said, I'm sure if they put it in the movie, it had some, yeah. some reality to it. But it just seemed, God, why would you do that? But just to show that you're still, uh, yeah. You know, listen, man. I, I've, I'm obviously, you know, never been a professional fighter. But again, the only thing that I can compare it to is when you've been successful at something for so long and you've never tasted any kind of bitter defeat, uh, when you do, it's a strike to your ego. And the, the, what you want to do is you want to get back up on that horse as quickly as possible and prove to yourself, I still got it. Like I said, that that prior to was murdering stages. Madison Square Garden, I got booed off. I couldn't wait to get back on stage. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't wait. I was like, I got whatever this stink is on me. I got to get it off. I got to get this off. So imagine being, and at, at that time they said heavyweight champion was the most coveted. Yeah. Uh, worldwide. Worldwide. It was the most respectable, coveted title you could have. B bigger than being an NFL champion, basketball champion, MLB champion. That was the, that was the biggest thing you could be. And to be knocked off that pedestal, uh, yeah, and you hearing it from people and blah, blah, blah. Imagine if there was social media back then. Oh, my God. Man. Could Do you think there will ever be another time, though, in a heavyweight division where you're going to have a Ken Norton, you're going to have a Frazier, an Ali, and a Foreman? I'd like to hope so. All at the same time. I'd like to hope so. But, you know. That's. Heavyweight division's last glory days was the 90s. Holyfield, Lennox, Tyson. And Holyfield, though, really wasn't a heavyweight. No, he was a, he was a, a cruiserweight. And it built up to be a heavyweight. Yeah. Um, These, I, those, that, that was just an amazing time. That, that's my, yes. my time. Oh, that's my the, boxing yeah. and then I was out because right. that, that was my dad's. My dad got me into that. Um, I'm glad that they finally got somebody else to play George's mother other than Angela Bassett. <laughs> <laughs> she seems like the go-to mom. For everything. But the lady playing his mother was awesome. She's been in a ton of movies. Let me see. What, I, I'm sorry that we, didn't, we don't do our... We, we talk about the movies because we like the movies, not because of the, <laughs> the actors and actresses. Who, but we, but yeah, but it, it, this is where if we had a producer, yeah, we, it'd be great to, you know, to give these people their props, their flowers. What's her name? Sonia. Uh, Sonia. Oh, I've, yeah. That's, yeah, she's been in a lot of movies. Yes, yeah, Sonia. She's good, and she and and she's not. They made her look terrible. She doesn't look terrible. Yeah. So they not. I shouldn't say terrible. They just made her look old. Um, dude, when Foreman becomes decides to become a preacher, and he tells Doc, and Doc is basically like telling him, "No, motherfucker, what do you? You know, we 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 we're in position to get a rematch, possibly with Ali, if you beat Norton." And Foreman says to him. What Doc said to him early on when he goes, you know, you used to be a fighter. And now you're this guy. He goes, I traded in one uniform for another. And Foreman says, you know, listen, Doc, I've traded in one uniform for another. You could understand that. I just wanted for us to go, nigga, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but before we move on for that, yeah. there's one other part that I forgot in that motivation. We're talking yeah. about motivation. Yeah to realize your lost potential. Some of these guys like who train, mm -hmm. they didn't make it. So in order for them to make it, they need they, to right. get, get someone live through them. Live right. through them. Yeah. Um, 
And listen, man, the fact that boxing sports is a young man's sport, period, but particularly boxing, because, you know, listen, if you're a, if you're an older basketball player on a, on a team, you can, your teammates, the youth, the, the young legs of your teammates can carry you, even though your time may be done. You can lean on your team. Boxing is just you. And the fact that Foreman did what he did at his age in a young man's sport, that's remarkable. That's fucking remarkable. He holds that record. You know, that's a record. There's, there's no other heavyweight champion at 45. And just, just people understand this. And I know, I know most people understand this. But if you ever got hit in the face, mm. imagine. I got hit in the elbows. In the, when you get hit in the face, right. you feel it. Like you feel it. Like I uh, last fight I was in, I got kicked in the face. Kicked. Kicked in the face. Damn. I took this dude down and the bouncers came and broke it up and I wouldn't let go of the dude and the uh, bouncer kicked me in the face. And uh, oh, it, I, the bouncer, it was a bouncer. The bouncer. Oh, I thought it face. was a bunch of dudes that no, screamed out, Jews will not replace basis, Yeah, no, kicked <clears> me in the face. And uh, I, I thought I was going to go out and I was like, uh, I'm going to, I never been knocked out. So I thought, oh, I'm going out. And then I went, whoop, nope, I'm still here. And uh, right. it's so painful. And you feel that for him, it, it's not just even about the fight because you have the adrenaline. You have to go back to that ring the next day. Even if yeah. you win the fight, right? you still got punched yeah. and beat up. And not at 20 when you your body and your metabolism helps you recover. Not even at 30 when it's still slower, but it helps you recover. Right. When you're in your 40s, mm -hmm. that's not recovering that way. And you still get up to get back into a fight. I, I, it's, it's a, that's a different kind of bravery and strength. Mental, and, and mental fortitude, warriorism. Uh, I, it's unbelievable to me when you, when I was, when I saw that happening, and I was still in my, I forgot how old I was at right. that time. I didn't think about it that way, but now when I wake up in the morning and I, I am in pain from the way that I slept. Right. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know how he did that. Yeah. And 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 what was great was when when you know obviously he got back into boxing because. The white dude who he entrusted his money to uh, lost, it lost all. all his money. And the youth center that he opened in Houston had to close. The lights went out, couldn't pay the bills. He was in trouble of, uh, he was in risk of losing his house. And he, he told his, his wife, he's, you know, look, uh, she goes, I don't, you know, you said you weren't going to box no more. You're a preacher now. Yeah, but preaching don't pay the bills. Um, you know, and, and, and he got back into it. And then he later found out that the foreman grill had blown up, and he didn't ever have to fight again. But he said the mission's not done. And he wanted to, he felt that if he became champ again, he could then use his platform even more. To lift. To uplift. The and, Lord. The Lord. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 when you talk about doing something you don't have to do that's painful, he could have stopped right there. But he saw the mission through. Yeah, because that was what, and that was his wife's vision that the right. Lord spoke to her. Let me ask you this question, though, before we go. Speaking of his wife, she was a real life Adrian. Adrian yeah. is fictitious. Yeah. She was a real life Adrian. Yeah, his first wife, though, the one who plays him in uh, in, in this. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> Foreman's style of boxing that that, yeah. that that is a lot like butter beans. But remember, but but much better. Okay. Yeah, but let me just yes. ask you this question. So, if they would have actually fought, do you think him and butter beans? Yeah. Do you think their be bellies would have prevented them from ever hitting each other? Uh, 
I, I think George would have mopped the floor with Butterbean. <laughs> but he couldn't reach him because right. their bellies would have been. Yeah, yeah, but the foreman would have beat the shit out of that nigga. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, let me go back to that, to that moment. Uh, again, a young foreman. He's got the money now. He's rich. His family all comes over to eat. And oh, yeah, his mother goes, uh, we got to pray. Thank you, Lord, for the food. And Foreman goes, Lord ain't got nothing. To, Lord didn't get the food, mama. I did. Um, but then they cut to Foreman finally praying uh, when he thought that his sister was going to die and lose the baby. So he came full circle. And that's how, that's how he comes into right. the influence of the Lord right. because right. His, his, his sister was saved. The baby was saved. The sister. Dude, what made you? I noticed. Uh, I don't know if you'll remember, but when he was in the bank, there was something that happened that made you laugh. Do you remember what it was? Uh-uh. You started laughing hysterically when he was in the bank. Uh-uh. I, I'd have to think God, I wish I, I wrote it down. Like because I wrote. I want to ask Andy what made you laugh when he was in the bank. Oh, oh was it when everybody started applauding? No. But that was such a hokey little scene when you walk into your bank and everybody starts applauding. Well, because he became well, well, champion. But I mean, do you go want to go do your banking and everybody's like applauding for you? It comes with it, baby. I, I don't know. It just felt, I don't know. It felt weird. I, I was watching it. I guess I never had those kind of zeros that I would I would <laughs> generate applause. Really? <laughs> if I I never had a check big enough to 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 uh to clap for. So um um one last thing that I loved, uh, and he actually, and again, I know I'm being nitpicky, but again, this was such a, as a boxing fan, and, and, and as far as this monumentous moment with George Foreman becoming champ, uh, Jim Lampley, who had announced the fight, and I love Jim Lampley's passion because when they, well, I forgot what it was called, but HBO used to do these boxing uh, series, yeah. and I forget what it was called. But they did the one, um, Tale of the Tape. Was that what it was called? I, I don't remember. But they did this one about the Arturo Gotti-Mickey Ward fight. And Jim is so, boxing's been his whole life. He's been announcing boxing since forever. And it's so in his blood and it's so his passion that when he was describing the, uh, I'm trying to find the right word, way to word this. The beautiful, this is not the way I really want to word it, but the, as as, as the brutal art, the beautiful, bu- brutal the art. The sweet science. The sweet science, but more, more so, as brutal as the Arturo Gotti Ward fight was, there was a beauty in it. Yeah. And as he was describing it, dude, he's fucking crying. He's, you, hear, you see it. He's fucking tears. His voice gets choked up. That's how passionate he is about what he does. That's how much he loves boxing. He's a part of boxing as it is a part of him. And he did the same thing with this Foreman fight when he goes, it happened. It happened. And then they cut to him explaining that again. I, I love the fact that he's that passionate about something that he's always been a part of his whole life. And in that moment in the movie, he said it once. It happened. But in real life, he said it twice. And again, I know that's nitpicking. Yeah. But I wish they had him do it accurate. Because it would have been easy to do. If they yeah, it happened. It happened. And I remember what was so great about that, too, was Michael Moore, I remember in the interview, said, man, he dismissed Foreman as, that was a lucky punch. And Teddy Atlas goes, no, but what wasn't lucky, Mike, is how he set you up. He was doing this thing, and you saw it in the movie. He was throwing his jab out there. 
not even really full force, just patting it. But what he was setting you up for was that, oh, he kept doing this, he kept doing this, and you weren't paying attention. Oh, and that's when he got you. And that's sweet science. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Love it. I do remember what made me laugh, though, and I'll tell you now. Oh, shit. Okay. When they're walking through and you see him and, you know, the people are applauding. Right. <laughs> they're applauding. And he's just, and he's all, his eyes are all black. Right. And then I started laughing. Yeah, they're applauding. They got this, and he just took this, he won. Right. But you take this ass kicking so that you can come in and have all these people applaud for you. That's why it was funny to me that all the people were applauding. You're applauding. His business and his business was just as ass beating that no matter even that he won, right. he still looks right like he got fucked. <laughs> and it's it's amazing to me, man, that you, you people don't. I don't think people really digest what people go through in sports to be able to do what they do. Right. That that, that you you might have cashed that check, you might have fixed your your income. That's 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 a battle, man. And to still show you how incredible George Foreman was. Even at 45, dude, I actually remember it was such a big deal when it happened because up to this point, George was, I think, like 19 and 0. He'd been running through everybody, but people felt like he hasn't been tested yet. So his first real test was against a prime Evander Holyfield. And I remember that was such a big deal. And I remember I went over to a friend's house to watch it on pay-per-view. And yeah, Foreman lost, but what made Foreman so big after that he damn near won. Yeah. And there was at one point in that fight where they, I think Holyfield hit this motherfucker with nine straight shots. Bop, bop, bop. Foreman took them all and kept coming. Coming, coming. Just kept walking Just kept forward. walking forward. Even though he was taking these shots. And that's a, a past his prime, Foreman. You, you know when uh, Ali said he fights like the mummy? Right. He didn't have any idea that he really would become the mummy. Right. <laughs> Right. Because he didn't feel, it didn't even look like those punches were hitting him. So here's my question. As hard as Holyfield was hitting him, is that different than you think the punches that he received when he was fighting in his prime? Do you think the guys that were in his prime, Foreman's prime, right, were harder than what uh, Holyfield could throw at that time? Yes. Because again, Holyfield was not a natural heavyweight. Exactly. That's what I was getting to. I don't think that any of these fights that he had People were hitting the same way that he had already taken right. shots. Right. I'm not. I'm not knocking any of the fighters because mm -hmm. I know I couldn't take any of those fighters' right. shots. Not even for a round. Not even for half a round. What I'm just saying is those those that period in time that that little period in the 70s. That was. Uh, I I don't think it can ever happen. I yeah, used to do hope so. I just don't think it ever is going to be like niggas that. Niggas in the 70s when they threw punches, they were throwing against racism, poverty. Uh, Police, every swing, swung, swing came with a some story. <laughs> this, is, this is to get out the ghetto. This is for the police. This is for racism. It, it just it, niggas was cut different in the seventies. My, my my dad used to talk about that though. He goes, um, when he would see certain people fighting, he goes, "I go, Dad," because he always wanted me to play football. Mm -hmm. And he go, "How come you don't want me to box?" And he goes, "Boxing isn't for you." He goes, "You don't you don't have it hard." He goes, "You mm -hmm. don't have it hard." I, he goes, people box. Uh, there's some people that box because they're good at boxing. He goes, but to 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 have the will to win, to have the will to take the punches, right. to have the will to get up. Right. Yeah, you have to have something that that's driven you. I don't know anybody that's ever boxed that's come from comfort. That's what that's his point. Middle class, rich, 
Do you know how, how, how deep your love for the sport has to be for you to come from middle class or wealth to go, I want to be a, a professional fighter. But fighters come from, I'm trying to get out of this. Well, it, it would be easier to say like this. Hey, man, I'm doing really well in life and I, I've, I've done great. You know what I want to do for a living? I want people to beat the shit out of me. Because I don't care how good of a fighter you are. You're still getting your ass. You're still yeah. getting punched. You're still getting beat up. Right. That's a that's a hell of a thing to want to do if you if you come from that and that's my dad's point. You, he goes, you goes, your life isn't hard enough, right? So, uh, folks, go see this movie, man. It's I'm 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 it's 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 a shame this movie is not bigger because this is a great movie. It's well rounded. It's it's two hours, but it's a great two hours. You're not looking at your your watch. It's it's uh it's solid, man. And and again, my man playing Foreman. Solid performance. Solid. I don't know about uh, Chu Chang Ali. Still <laughs> did do that. <laughs> he didn't do a bad job. He just didn't have the look that you wanted. The nigga looked Asian, nigga. His forehead was way too big for uh, Ali. Yeah. All right. Let me tell you where we're going to be. Oh, shit. We're going to be at Helium, Portland. Uh, when you're listening to this, uh, May 25th. Oh, not when you're listening to this. Yeah. No, where? Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, guys. I'm messing this up. We are leaving Cleveland, and we're going to be off for a few weeks. So you're going to be listening to this. We're not going to have any dates again until May 25th. We're going to be at the Helium Portland. So I messed that whole thing up. 25th to the 28th, we'll be at Helium Portland. Uh, June 1st through the 3rd, we're going to be at Cobb's Comedy Club. Uh, June 9th through the 11th, we're going to be at the Pittsburgh Improv. And June 15th, uh, through the 18th, we're going to be at the DC Comedy Loft. And getting back home for me, I'm going to be at the Tempe Improv with my man here, Ari Spears. Uh, we're going to be out there June 23rd through the 25th. You're in those areas. Please come check us out. If you're not into those areas and you want to go on vacation, come check us out then on vacation. Come out to Tempe. Come see us there. It'll be nice weather. Yeah. Um. Let me see. Okay. Uh. This comes to you, comes to you from TJ Soul. Uh, wrong slash promo. Instagram. Um, Instagram uh, at TJSOUL7. Facebook at TJSOUL Music. TikTok at TJSOUL7. Twitter, TJ Soul, SOUL27. YouTube, TJ Soul, and Spotify, TJ Soul. Enjoy. I beat that man in that rang for five seconds. Negativity coming my way My suffering not gonna display But I know I really got nothing to say I'm always doing wrong in my life I never look for any type of advice Sure I knew I would pay for the price No regrets really, I didn't think twice And just to start off, I know it well We will fall off right in the hell Couple months in, we got along All of a sudden, love wasn't strong 
tired of you being so hurtful Problems with you go in a circle Tell me if leaving you was so wrong Hurting myself when love was gone Cheating with several Thanks for listening to the Spears and Steinberg podcast. If you'd like to know who's responsible for this shit, well, it was hosted by Ari Spears and Andy Steinberg, produced by Steve Merrick and Anthony Holmes, executive producer, Big Papa, Robert Kelly, and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcast. For more information on where to find us on the internet, visit www.spearsbergpod.com. You don't like to do a face-to-face? Face. No, I don't, I don't like that way. I don't like to see the face. You mean it? Nope. <laughs> That's crazy. Look! You can get a doggy style, you can get a ling on your side. Those are your only choices. This is my house and I get the say. Got it?